believe this is a, just an issue of having the right people. I, I just don't think that's something that you have to force. I think if you're having to try to find a way to force that, then you have the wrong, or you haven't laid out your vision and values right. I mean, that's always a possibility also. It could be that you're just not communicating with your team, to use that terminology, what your vision is. Hey everybody, we, we decided to do something a little different this time. And rather than just Alex and Todd and I getting together and having a conversation, just the three of us, which would have been very enjoyable, we could still do that. We probably will still do that. But we said, hey, you know, there could be something kind of cool here if we invited a live audience that actually could bring some questions live because we, we got some topics to talk about. So this is Triple Win Live, the first, maybe the last. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I want to introduce our special guests. So we've got none other than the Todd father, Todd Orchide, with us today. And Todd, no surprise, is in the attire that he's in. If you know, Todd likes to dress professionally, so he's got a shirt tie. If you're listening to this on podcast, you can just imagine what's going on here. But Todd is the CEO of Revolution Rental Management, which is growing fast and has made some acquisitions, has some exciting news. And also, Todd is a member of the Facebook Potstirer Hall of Fame. That is an official and real thing. He's even got a name tag to prove it. Uh, so listen, if you're not following Todd on Facebook, you can expect some great and brilliant insights about property management. You can expect memes. You can expect updates on 75 hard. And, you know, maybe some takes that bring some people in like Alex that at least start some conversation, right? So I'll, I'll hold you. You also expect it. to see me in jail on uh, quite a few occasions. <laughs> <laughs> Facebook jail, <laughs> Facebook yeah. jail for the record. That's right. So listen, we appreciate Todd that you put yourself out there. You say what you really think, you know, and we, we encourage everyone to be their authentic selves here. No need to hold back. This is being recorded. There's a live audience, you know, it gets produced, but we appreciate Todd that you, you share what you think. Alex, I want to do an introduction for you as well. Alex has recently actually left the industry and it's Sweeney Sports well, go ahead. Go. I'll okay. clarify. Yeah. You'll thanks. clarify. Okay, good. Well, here, let me just misintroduce Alex real quick for everybody, and then he can just come in and correct everything. But I, I think at Sweeney Sports, at, le at least play a role there. I know Alex also is, is a prop tech growth consultant, so, so still connected in the industry, I should say. And previous to that was the chief growth officer at Mind, MYND Management, four and a half, which many people know. We've probably got a couple of customers on here, founder and CEO there, the PM Grow Conference, and, and even has a history dating back to like, I think Appfolio and Propertyware, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, Alex has really got some interesting perspective from the technology side of things. He's somebody people go to as a marketing mind and just a business strategy mind. He loves entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs. He loves this industry, the people in it. And Alex, it's great to have you here, my friend. Please, please clear up whatever I stepped in right there. First, Andrew, let me, let me just say that you are, you, you and the company, you, you are passionately believing in and you're a team member off probably you know probably more than a team member probably at this level you you truly like this is part of your future however it turns out to be is amazing you you doing amazing work you guys like have these wonderful ideas like out of the box like hey well let's rent ferraris and pick people up at the conference i mean come on brilliant brilliant as a marketer as a growth guy brilliant so so i want to give you that credit and i 
wish you would participate as much as Todd and I I just kind of just go at it. I, I wish you could throw in some wisdom as we talk. But just real quick, I have to give Todd a credit because I acquired Sweeney Sports. That's a uh, sporting goods retailer here in Napa, California. By the way, if you guys are in Napa for like Cal Narpam or whatever, you better swing by and say hello. It's an awesome little shop. Been there since 1970. Really good shop. And so I called, I called like three or four or five people I really trusted to get the acquisition advice. And guess who was one of them? Mr. Todd right there. So terrible advice, Todd. It actually worked out really well. <laughs> <laughs> the jury is still out. It's only been a year. I'm definitely uh, looking forward to how that turns out, man. That's going to be super interesting since it's such a different industry and everything. It's just, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that all goes. Yeah, no, it was a good advice and it really gave me pause and, and way to think about it because something that you said is like, hey, you know, it depending, depends on your risk appetite, right? It's it, it sounds risky. It's a different industry. It's a different, the numbers look pretty good, but like, you know, we don't know what happens to retail. It's pandemic, like- what are you doing? <laughs> um, anyway, so I did that acquisition. I have a general manager, Ronnie. I have a great team. Then I do prop tech consulting for, you know, companies who get funded to, you know, do something interesting in the SFR space. I don't touch MFR. So I do that. And I'm also a partner and growth executive at a uh, company called Arc IT. It's a smaller company, but it's an IT company that only focuses on architects. So we we do a podcast there. We do a lot of content there. We do a lot of collaborations there with uh, influencers, but we're growing pretty good. That's a good good little business that I'm uh, connected with. So that's kind of where I'm at. Enough, enough rambling. I have a whole page of notes. Everyone is like a nail in your coffin, <laughs> Mr. Todd. I'm not nearly as well prepared, so uh, now I'm worried. <laughs> He, he came prepared, Todd. And by the way, did you notice the, uh, the subtle use of, of team and team member? And uh, maybe that was not so subtle. That was good, Alex. I like that. Planting a seed of what's going to come in in just a minute or two. Hey, I'm going to do this because just like one minute before we were jumping on, I, I'm generally the worst with birthdays. Like I don't... <laughs> friends, family members, like it's, I'm not good with birthdays, but I did see actually right before we were jumping on that Regina Ingram's birthday is today and she's here live with us. So we can throw some love in the chat. Regina, I hope we can celebrate over some Skyline Chili at some point and, uh, and happy birthday to you. And Jen Newton, if you're listening to this on recording, I just want to wish you a happy birthday as well. All right. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. There we go. All right, guys, we're going to get into it. We're going to get kicked off with the with the plan discussion here, and we'll move to questions. You know, people people might have questions on this topic and want to go deeper on it. They may want to circle back to it later after they've thought about it. We may meander around. We're the people who wear purple suits, so there's not a lot of rules over here other than have a great time and enjoy each other and have some great conversations. So staff versus team. And what I recall, I was trying to find, by the way, this Facebook post uh, just a few minutes ago to see if I could screen share it for the people here live. But unfortunately, Todd, it's, it probably would have taken me a half my lifetime to scroll down your feed to go, <laughs> go find that. But I really enjoyed everything I saw on the way looking for it. Um, here's what I recall. And actually, I'll have you guys you know, correct my perception of, of what was going on here and, and what you think the discussion we should be having is. But... Todd, what I recall your post being about was a lot of property managers get stuck 
implementing change in their organization, driving and leading change in their organization. And as somebody who talks to a lot of property managers, and, and we recognize that that's a challenge for a lot of people. And as you're talking to them, one of the big challenges they cite is, I, I can't get my team on board. I can't get my team buy-in to do this thing that I know is going to be beneficial for our business. I know it's where we need to go. Uh, and I need their buy-in. I, I, I need them to be on board you know, on this. And I think you, you just push back on rejecting that premise uh, is what I would describe it as saying, hey, you know, maybe you look at this differently. Like the, the role of the leader in the organization and the relationship and the conversation as far as how, you know, how that, how that goes, you know, how that conversation goes and ultimately how things get executed in your business. And it, it, you refer to your, your folks as a staff. And we'll talk about this language thing and see how important that is or isn't. But I would say we, we think language is pretty important at Second Nature, like calling somebody a resident versus a tenant. It seems subtle. Calling somebody an investor and not an owner. You know, it, it changes how people might think of themselves, how they're perceived. You know, a non-property management example is we used to call people bums that now are called homeless, right? And there's just like an immediately different emotional wake, you know, following that word when you say bum versus when you say homeless, right? And so, you know, language is important, I think, but we'll see kind of where we agree on this stuff. Alex came in hot in the comment and said, Todd, I love you, man. But you've been drinking too much water out of that giant water bottle. <laughs> and you're missing it. I mean, the greatest organizations on the planet, they are full of passionate, invigorated people, right, who are working together as a team to accomplish something together. And, and that's how they should be referred to, team, team members. That's how they should be working together, this buy-in, this passion, et cetera. It's so important for differentiating your company and, and ultimately driving brand perception, your reputation in the marketplace. It's, it's number one, I think you said, Alex, even was the claim that you made in the comments. So that's a little context from an outside observer. Can you guys, we'll start with Todd. Todd, add a little more context on what you think the conversation is really about here and what's worth discussing. Yeah, so if I remember right, I think what, what prompted me to make that original post, if I remember right, I think we had just come back from PM Nation and we had done a uh, panel as we frequently do, talking about resident benefit packages. You know, you and I do those, you know, all over the country all the time. It seems like, like almost once a week at this point, it seems. And I got the same feedback that I get every single time we do one of these. I get people that come up to me and they say, yeah, I want to do this. I think this is a great idea. It's going to make tons of money. It's going to make owners happy. You know, it's going to make my staff's life easier. But I don't think I can get staff buy-in. So I don't know if I'm going to do it because of that. And that's just like nails on a chalkboard to me. When I hear that, it's something that the, the entrepreneur knows is the right thing to do. And they still hold back because they're so worried that they're not going to get their employees to go along with this. And that just drives me crazy. So that's what prompted me to post that and say, hey, there needs to be somebody who's willing to pull the trigger, who has the courage to go into a room, a meeting with their staff, yes, staff, employees, whatever term you want to use, and say, this is the direction we're going. Now, I want your feedback on how we might go about this, but this is the direction we're going. We're going to implement a resident benefits package because I've made the decision that this is the best thing for its 
a triple win. It's the best thing for everybody. So that's why we're going to do this. Now it's just a question of how we go about it. That's how I view that that sort of thing should go on. And all too often, it seems like what's really happening is the entrepreneur goes back from a conference, they go into a meeting with their staff, and they say, well, let's talk about this idea and see if you're okay with it. And that is not the way to do this. That's just a recipe for disaster in my view. You're not wrong. In this context, you're not wrong. So this is the end of this podcast. Well, that's a good way to start. I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, no. There's a lot there. There's a lot there we got to unpack, man. Ooh. First thing I'll open up is typical founder, including myself, and I'm, I'm disciplining myself, but million miles an hour, million ideas. <laughs> How does your staff know that this idea is the one you actually want versus the 16 others you mentioned last week? Oh, so yeah, that's an actual question. So, I mean, this goes back, I, I'm a big advocate of EOS. So, you know, I, what you're saying is absolutely 100% true. And the, the kind of personality type you're talking about there, EOS would call the visionary. You know, this person comes up, like you say, with a million ideas. And at my company, that's Christine. And Christine is constantly coming up with a million different ideas. And the difference is we have Christine as the visionary and we have me as what EOS would call the integrator. So she's coming to me with all these ideas and I'm picking them out and saying, no, these 80% of the ideas, those are unworkable. We can't do those, at least not in the next year. But these few over here, this 20% of these ideas, they're wonderful. And we're going to go make these things. You know, we're going to do these. And, you know, it's not a question of, you know, talking to a, a staff of 20 people and trying to come to a consensus it's a person who is responsible for making those decisions. It could be a department head, could be a CEO, could be an integrator if you use that term, but there needs to be somebody actually responsible for it who can make a decision and move forward and not governed by committee because that just doesn't work. Okay. So, so let me actually step down a second. Actually, let's upstream to EOS. The whole con- It's one of my notes. It's, it's one of my key arguments here. So you just brought it up. Fine, I'll, I'll close it. The whole concept behind EOS is leadership team, right? Mm-hmm. Is the integrator does not make a decision on whether to implement this idea or not. Or maybe you interpret it as such, or maybe I misinterpreted what you said. But the way that in four and a half, man, 100% EOS, like we've self-implemented and and it, it, it worked really well for the firm we we, we had, now I'm not sure what they're doing, but I'm sure it's it's similar version of it. And the idea is the leadership team has different viewpoints on the slice of the business. Because as the business gets bigger, and I'm sure you, you know by now, you have all these locations, you're, you don't have the visibility into everything, nuts and bolts of the business. So that's, that's important. And bring those people in the leadership team, actually give them a decision-making power, as well as at least collaborative power that somehow they get to mold the, the, the forward vision. Well, I would encourage you to go back and look at the chapter in, in traction that talks about the, the leadership team meeting, because there's actually a part in there where Gino specifically states the leadership team is not a democracy. We don't take votes. You don't get to, it's not majority rules. The entrepreneur, or if there's a group of owners, general partners, whatever it is, they still get the final decision. So you might go into a leadership team meeting and have a conversation, and that's great, but there's still somebody who's going to make a decision. We're not going to sit there and keep going, hashing this out meeting after meeting after meeting because we can't reach consensus. That's not how that, that's not how EOS works. And he knows very clear about that. Not what I'm proposing at all. 
But what I'm saying is the team, the team makes a contribution to a decision. And a lot of times when I brought issues, when my integrator brought issues into, into the forefront, like the ideas that fl- the solutions that flowed from the team were just un- un- unbelievably creative. And most of them was really nothing uh, that we could implement because they didn't see the other angles of the business. So it didn't connect. But some of those things connected really, really well. And I would never come up with it. So there, I, I think we took it a little to a little bit different level to where it wasn't death by committee. It, it was more like, here's the problem, not a decision. Here's the problem. How would you go about solving it? Sure. And I, I, I think we're mostly on the same page there. I, I think where the difference I would come in there is, you know, you're talking about the leadership team. So let's say you've got a company of, you know, let's look at a bigger company like Mind. So you came from Mind. What does Mind have now? 200 employees, 150, you know, oh, somewhere like, in that range? It's 450 last year. So yeah. Okay. So four, 400 and some employees. You're not going to go when you think, you know, if you're at Mind and you're deciding to implement a resident benefits package, you're not going to get all your property managers and your leasing agents together and hash that out. What you're going to do is you're going to get your key leadership people together, which your leadership team, I don't know what it might be at Mind, but let's say it's all the department heads, all the VPs. That's who's going to make those decisions. It's not going to be, let's sit down with all of the employees who do all this work day in and day out and make sure that they're okay with it before we move forward. And all too often, that's what I'm hearing. You know, when I go to these conferences and and we talk about things like a benefits package or like revenue maximization, the answer is I'm not going to do that because, you know, the people who talk to the residents, they don't like that. You know, they, they think that that's going to be a bad idea. And when I went back and talked to them about it, they weren't happy. So I'm just not comfortable doing it unless they're, they have buy-in, which is the term I always hear. So, I mean, I'm with you on the leadership team. I, I 100%, you know, I don't know any, I'm the first one to tell you, I don't know anything about sales and marketing. I don't know anything about a million different things that go on in my business nowadays because I'm not involved in it. So I do need to hear from other people before we make decisions but it needs to be the right group of people. You can't have 150 people or 450 people involved in making a decision. Now, let's go down to those. Let's slow down. Keep flowing down. So leadership team, we agree. I think we're in 100% alignment, not even 99. It's like 100%. Yeah. All right. So we get contributors to contribute. And Andrew, by the way, I want to hear your thoughts on this. Let's go down to middle-level management and actual foot soldiers who are out there representing your brand, your company, your you know, your identity to the folks. If they're just going through the motions, doing their job, do you think that it's in their interest to do more work or to change the way they do things just because somebody said so? Like, perhaps, but they know their job is not on the line if they just, you know, if they just look left, look right, you know, stall a little bit, complain a little bit, and they're going to get their way. So I'm just curious, how do you get those guys to believe in the cause? Because now outside of like your regular labor, you're asking them to do something else, which, you know, whatever, if you're talking about job descriptions, it may or may not be in the job description, but they can sabotage your project. Andrew, what do you think about that? I'm just curious, where's your, where's your mind at? You know, so I'm just going to reflect back a little bit of what I've heard so far and, you know, Making decisions by committee, you know, was something that that Todd said. And I think the challenge with that is you see a lot of times it, it like great ideas get diluted, right? Because you've got potentially competing interests, and it's like, well, how, you end up with a lot of compromise. 
in chances like that. And it, it kind of a lot of de-risking, you know, fr- from people's perspective versus like, hey, Alex is the guy we've hired to answer questions about what our company's strategy is going to be about marketing, right? And so we, as a leadership team, we need to be able to have conversation and, you know, probably he wants people to understand <laughs> what he's proposing and why, why they should be excited about it. But ultimately, I think it was Amazon or wherever, they talk about disagree and commit, right? And that ultimately, I, I do think decisions come down to, you know, there should be good communication throughout the organization so that people understand them, what decision's being made, when that decision was made, how it was made, and, and you know, what the implications of it are, what are the next questions we need to answer. But good communication and accountability ultimately, you know, lying for one, to one person, because if you're splitting accountability across a lot of people, that, that can be that can be difficult, right? For individual decisions like that. You know, as far as I'm hearing like, what should we do? I'm hearing Todd say, at least his perspective is, you know, that that's the decision of the leadership team. Like, where are we going, right? What direction are we going as an organization? Those are questions tasked to leadership. How do we get there, <laughs> right? It involves other folks. And then the last thing I think that you both seem to agree on is getting input, like great ideas, which I wholeheartedly agree with, great ideas can come from anywhere in the organization. And I know our culture at Second Nature's ideas are welcome, you know, and, and Jeff Hoffman, I guess, taught this phrase, ideas are welcome, execution is worshipped, hmm. right? And hmm. so, nice. hey, ideas are welcome and execution is worshipped. And so, yeah, we like to have a lot of conversations. When we do our, our quarterly meetings, when we do our annual meetings, you know, rather than just treat those as information transfer of one person talking to a group of people, hey, we're not flying a bunch of people in and getting hotel rooms. And <laughs> it's like, that could be an email or a Slack message, right? Or, or what have you, or happen at any time. But the kind of relationship building that happens there, the trust building that happens there, that's a focus in conversation specifically, you know, high stakes conversation on the team of where we're going, what we're doing this year, what's important to each person. You know, that's how we want to use the, that, that time. And so, um, so anyway, I just wanted to reflect back. I think you were actually asking a question about something specific, which I've already forgotten. So how do you get, and Todd, I think you get to a- answer next because I want to hear both of your opinion because I will write things down. How do you get foot soldiers, people who represent your brand in front of customers who get the Yelp reviews, who actually do the work, how do you get them to, you, you know, act representative to your brand or who you are, to who you think you should be, or maybe even inspirationally who you think you should be? I, you know, the language you're using, I almost like, I'm kind of like squinting one eye because the way I, this is my perspective. I'm not sure I can speak for second nature, <laughs> but sure. I'll speak as Andrew Smallwood at least and say, like, I don't believe you create motivation in other people so much as you align to motivation in other people, like convincing people they should be a certain way, that they should treat customers generously, <laughs> that they, you know, they should go out of their way to do things that they, they want to build great relationships. Like, I think you have to look for and find that or find, you know, what's in the person that is going to connect the dots, right, to that, that behavior, right, that's going to drive 
drives success. And so I think Second Nature has said, we want to define our culture and the way things are done around here. We want to define our values. We want to talk about those. We want to recognize those. We want to find people, right, who are naturally inclined to operate, right, the way that we've defined we operate differently, you know. And so I think as far as just great service and great customer, like a lot of that is looking for that character and talent and just the appetite and desire to be that way with people. So, I mean, we have many of these people on the call and I think many of the, the folks who are here that are customers would just say they're impressed with the Alexander Holmans, the Carol Housels, the Laura Max of the world, everyone that's here. You know, and that, that's a big part of it. Alex, your question is like, hey, how do you get people aligned to a strategy, everything else, you know? I would say second nature this year, if you talk to folks, they would say, wow, ambitious, lots of change, went from one product to six products you know, in a matter of months, an entirely new service level, all kinds of changes. And the team just did a phenomenal job. And, and the last point on this, I think uh, that people often overlook in, in talking about culture and its impact on this is it's not just connected to the vision. It's not just connected to the mission and what we're doing. Yes, that. And connected their personal motivations, again, that align to that. It's also, I think, the greatest teams <laughs> or staffs, they are connected to each other in a way that's important, where they care about the person next to them, their success, and seeing everyone do well together. Like, I, I see photos of uh, Bob Hansen's kids. I see... Glenn's kids, you know, on Zoom. It's and like it motivates me, I know, to get up a little earlier or stay stay a little later and and put it in beyond just the intrinsic excitement for like what we're doing is the idea that hey, my work makes a contribution to so, to these So you people. guys feel like a team, don't you? I would that's what I would describe at second nature mm -hmm. that we are a team. Mm. <laughs> Mr. Todd <laughs> No, so I mean, I, I love everything that Andrew just said there. I think the biggest thing on this is, you know, you can't, like Andrew said, motivate people to do something that they're not really inclined to do. So the biggest part here is putting the right people in the right seats, which is another EOS idea, which is, you know, if you're putting someone in a sales role who's not fitted for that sales role, or let's say they aren't fitted to your company's values. So, you know, if you're operating on EOS, you have core values. Andrew was kind enough to send me Second Natures earlier, I think earlier in the week that he had on a presentation, which are great. But I mean, every company needs to have those and you need to hire according to those. So, I mean, the, the key here is getting people who actually fit what you want to do as a company. You know, their personality, their skills are fit for that. And you're putting them into a place where they want to be and where they're suited for it. That's going to give them the motivation. They're going to be motivated to do that job because they're where they want to be and they're good at what they're doing. All too often, the problem is we're putting people in the wrong positions or we're hiring people that don't fit our values or don't have the experience they need. And then you're trying to motivate somebody who you're never going to motivate. You can't motivate someone into being something they're not. If you're putting an accountant you know, personality type into a sales role, they're going to be miserable. And there's no way, no matter how many pizza parties you throw, no matter how many nice buzzwords you come up with to refer to them as, they are not going to fit into that role and be happy. You're not going to motivate them to do it. So it's to me, it's all about how you set up the business, how you have your core values, how you hire into those roles is going to make 99% of that difference in my view. And, and we use culture index, by the way, for that, which I, I'm a big fan of. So I think those are, th this is the foundation. And I'm assuming that 
we're all at this level of entrepreneurship, you know, having already run businesses, some of us multiple, some of us single one and grew it, sort of get that, get that at least mostly done, right? I mean, you guys there on the phone, I mean, you know, you, wouldn't you say that 95 plus percent of your staff, there's usually one or two fluctuating, but like 95% of your staff are in the right place, right time. If it's less than 95, maybe you're in the process, you know who those are and you transition them out. But like, let's say 85, I mean, 90, like it can't be, if it's less, then then you're just, you know, it's a slow march to death march. But I think that's the big problem though, Alex. I, you know, you say we look at it, we're there. And I think a lot of us who do industry speaking or consulting, we are there. I think the problem is the average person who's walking up to me after we make that uh, presentation at a conference and they're telling me they need to get staff buy-in, they're not there. That's the biggest problem. We have, we have to remember that the property management industry, there's 100,000 property management companies across the country. There's a small handful that are the people that everybody knows at NARPM conferences who speak and consult and all that kind of stuff. Those people might have it together, but by the way, some of them don't even have it together. Some of them are going out and needing help. But you know, assuming that all that groundwork is already laid, I don't think that's a safe assumption for the vast majority of the people who are going to listen to the podcast. To be honest with you, but let's so, let's assume uh, one, one second. I'm just I'm just gonna, I'm just going to take mm-hmm. one step further. Let's assume there is a company A that has those things in order, and the right people in the right seats. Now, what motivates those people, in your opinion, Todd? So, as a staff member, your job is to execute policies and procedures of the company, and to carry out the company's core values. I say that's part of it all. That's very squishy, but it's not, you know, fine. For, as long as I don't screw up too much, right? You know, since I'm doing good work, you're going to keep, but like, what is the, what is the it for me? Like, what is, what what's in it for me? Like, wh- how do you, yeah, how do you, I know you hate motivational speakers, which is fine. I share that in, in 90% of the people, but there's some really good ones out there. But anyway, so how do you, yeah, how do you get those people to actually represent your company with passion? I, again, I believe this is a, just an issue of having the right people. I just don't think that's something that you have to force. I think if you're having to try to find a way to force that, then you have the wrong or you haven't laid out your vision and values right. I mean, that's always a possibility also. It could be that you're just not communicating with your team, to use that terminology, what your vision is. Where are we going? What do, where do we want to be 10 years from now? What are we trying to accomplish here? What is our overall goal? Um, And if you're not communicating that, then yeah, people aren't going to be motivated. But I think if you have all those elements put together, I I think it's the wrong question. I don't think we need to go out and motivate people. I think if you've got the right people, you've got the vision, you've communicated it, you've got the values laid out, they're going to feel motivated just by nature of the fact that they're somewhere where they want to be doing what they want to do. I I just don't think this is necessary. So... I want to ask a question of you guys, and I want to keep going down a path that I feel like Alex was going down here of just like one or two additional questions that are quick. And I get the sense, Todd, that like, I feel like I remember you saying you have some like very tenured staff. There's a lot of people dealing with turnover in talent right now. <laughs> Great resignations and like people just opting out of working in general. And and it's 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 interesting in the talent space, inflation and everything that's happening going on, affecting wages, et cetera. And I feel like, Todd, you've just got some strong what managerial skills. Like people know what to expect when they show up at work, you know, compared to the typical workplace. And I know you've laid out and shared your opinion on things like here's what people can expect in their compensation over time, right? 
and laying that out in a way that others, I, I don't think most people do. And you give people a very predictable kind of certain environment um, to work in, you know, generally, which in property management with all the, <laughs> the unexpected that happens every day, I, I bet that's appreciated. And what I hear Alex talking a lot about is, is Alex, you strike me as the, it's, it's not like the, it's not quite the trite, like uh, management versus leadership, but a little kind of in that direction of, you know, you're asking questions like, how do we get people to really bring their best to work on a daily, like to each and moment it. and love show it. up and bring that energy and passion. And, and again, I, I would agree with Todd that you want like finding dispassionate people and trying to make them passionate is is uh, is a difficult task right but you can certainly put passionate people into a context or a work environment right that makes it very hard for them to be at their best and you know what are the things alex in your opinion that leaders should be doing thinking about influencing how should be shaping the work environment in such a way that brings out that voluntary energy not the like i'm showing up at nine I'm there at five. I'm getting the number of tasks done that are assigned to me, like meeting expectations. Like what, in your opinion, leads people to come together as a team and say, I want to put in a little bit more and pick people up in a Ferrari at midnight or like whatever it takes, right? What's your thoughts on that? And then I want to come to Todd. All right. Let me be thoughtful about this response. Like I don't have those bullet points written out, but let me be very thoughtful and just talk about what I've seen, what I've read about, and then what I implemented will actually work. One, authenticity, like radical transparency. And I don't know, Todd, to what level you do this. I know you work for airlines, unions. It's really hard to be transparent there. It's just it, it, the business The business is different, but I think it's, it. I think the, the passion, the, the first kernel of passion that you would ignite with your team. And this is, when I walked into the retail environment, people getting paid minimum wage, selling sporting goods. You know, this is a challenging, challenging individual to motivate beyond their passion for the sport. And this is, like the first thing is, is, is this radical transparency. Hey guys, here's what we're doing in revenue. Here's what this company does in profits. Here's what we need to do to stay in business. I'm not here to run a small business. I want to make a $100 million company in 10 years. Here's a high-level plan, but I need you all input in this. You know, let's get started. Hoorah. You know, give me your thoughts. Give me feedback. So that's one. So authenticity and, and like surprising radical transparency. I think that's step one. Step two is, it might sound stupid, but like the first thing I thought of is touch, physical touch. Like I, I feel that, you know, and maybe it's not always physical. Maybe it's, you know, Jennifer, happy birthday. You know, meaningful touch from the leadership that shows it doesn't have to be um, scripted, but just always be mindful human, right? So go down to human. And then at the end of the day, people come home with paychecks, aligning performance with, and I think Todd is doing that, but aligning performance with comp, like performance with vision. And, and plus, of course, everything else that Todd says, because those things must be in place. There's no vision, no values. Like, that, oh, you know, touch is meaningful. Like, what are you touching me for? <laughs> Go away, you creep. <laughs> Todd, we're going to get your opinion on hugs in just a second. And, uh, and I hear what you're saying, Alex. Say like, hey, we're not talking about touch in like a HR violation kind of way here. <laughs> we're there, but just, hey, there's a connection, 
right? And showing genuine care for other people in a way where they feel thought of and cared for. Am I interpreting that right? Yeah. Oh, it could be just a physical okay. tap on the shoulder. It could be like, sure. hey, great job. Like, great Interesting. Job. Like, you know, that if you work you know, if remotely touch, but yes, whatever that, 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 inst that, I guess, human connection that, that comes out of touch, whether it's <laughs> physical or, or emotional or supportive is, is just, it's, it's a bond, right? It reinforces <laughs> other things that you were talking about. You become more believable, more real, more authentic. And then, and then the last thing you were talking about was, you know, incentives lining up with what what's critical to get accomplished in, in this role, making sure that those are really tightly aligned, that you're incentivizing the right things, right, structurally. And I want to come to Todd on this because, Todd, I think this is where, you know, some people, as they talk about buy-in and everything else, you know, there are some employees who say, okay, well, you want me to do this new thing? right, on top of my job, or in addition to it's one more thing is kind of like the perception. And maybe that's a miscommunication from leadership, right? But it's one more thing. And am I making more money as a result of doing this? Or, you know, it's maybe it's good for the business. Is it good for me? And I think there's some, there's a communication challenge some leaders find at that point. And, and some may like over rotate on that. And they say, Oh, we got to incentivize people to do this. And that that's, that's not really what's driving behavior there. How do you think about that as far as incentives lining to performance and the people actually carrying out the work? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the one of the big issues here is there's so many companies who frankly underpay their employees. There's just no, no way around that. They're, it's either in compensation or benefits or time off. I hear so many entrepreneurs who are just so proud of the fact that their employees are working 70-hour work weeks. And they just think that's the most wonderful thing ever. And I just hear that and I think you are killing your employees. You are slowly killing them and making them miserable and you're proud of it. And that's why you run into these problems, I think. When you go to your employees and you say, hey, I've got this new thing I want to implement. Here's what I need you to do. And what you have is an employee who's looking at it and saying, I make 35 grand a year. I could probably leave and go make a few thousand dollars more. I get no time off and I'm working 70 hours a week tied to my phone and this wants me to do something extra. That's where that's coming from. And I don't think you have that problem when your employees are paid at least fairly. I frankly, I pay my employees above market rates. I provide them benefits. I provide them tons of paid time off. And I tell everybody when they start, I do not want you working more than a 40-hour work week. In fact, if I can get you working 35, that's what's going to make me happy. So, you know, when you have somebody in that kind of position and you come to them and ask them to do more, they're a little bit more willing to do it because the way they view it is you're taking good care of them to start with. So I, I think that's a big part of that problem, to be honest with you. Hmm. I've got a question for both of you that I'd love to get your response, uh, a response from each of you on this question. And it came in from the chat. So thanks for whoever submitted this. The question is, what do you do when your staff does not buy in to your idea or your goals? And so, hey, you've presented what there is to do. There's friction, there's resistance. It might even be as dramatic as refusal, but there, there's something there that tells you there's not wholehearted agreement and ready for accountability on whatever has been proposed. And I'd like to come to Alex first, and then we'll come back to you, Todd. Just go back to your first principles of that, right? It's just, you know, let's, let's talk about this, 
very important concept that I've built my whole career around. And it's very simple. It's called Maslow hierarchy of needs. Yeah. You guys all believe that that's, that that's a thing, right? So, you know, you below is your safety, your, your physical needs, your food, shelter, whatever, then, then your belonging, then your self-esteem, then your self-actualization. So what I do is I, in fact, even before this happens, right? Before this happens, I make sure to communicate out the vision, then the particular project that will connect to the vision, and then how that project will benefit the company and the immediate people within the company. So that's hence the performance comp. So the way I, I, I structure comp is every quarter, it's connected to initiatives. So there's a base pay, and then there's a bonus component that's connected to that quarter initiatives. That's how it is. And, you know, I get to decide, you know, there's a there's a measurements, KPIs of what we get to do, but ultimately I get to decide, you know, if we if we accomplished it or sometimes I pay it anyway because the effort was there. But the bottom line is it go go back to the person needs and figure out are they still looking for shelter? Right? Are you working them dogged 70 hours a week and you're asking them to do this thing? And you know, I just had a conversation with my GM. Like we're building inventory for Christmas. And it's nuts. He is absolutely just buried right now. It's the, it's that time of the year where retail goes into the black, right? That where where we're making some money. And so, guess what? I step back from initiatives. I'm like, okay, Chad, we we couldn't do this, but I <laughs> I'm glad I talked because he talked for like 15, 20 minutes of how many things were on his plate right now that wouldn't be otherwise that I didn't understand. So. It's a simple answer to a simple question. Find out what motivates them and find out what what they care about. Because Chad was at the you know at the food level, and I'm trying to get him into the self esteem and above. And it's did I hear you right, Alex? And you're saying that actually you tie compensation to completion of these kind of change initiatives or rocks or whatever whatever terminology people want to yeah. use. That yeah. Okay. So somebody's quarterly refusing it. Quarterly the, objectives and and part of their compensation on top of on top of their base is based on that on the achieving those objectives for the organization. Follow-up question before we come to Todd on that. So Al, you know, Alex, have you dealt with in your teams like, hey, we've set our rocks or we we've set these objectives and here's the compensation for them for the quarter. And then 40 days into the quarter, you know, are, are you exercising the discipline of saying, no, 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 we're maintaining our rocks and anything or emergent opportunity, we're going to look at that for, you know, next quarter or, hey, this is the kind of opportunity where we actually, we needed to defer this thing now and we need to do this right now. And have you had to have that kind of conversation before? Have you had to make that kind of decision? And how does that go? Very, very good question. Yeah. When you're running fast, you might be tripping over dollars to, to grab a penny. So yeah. This happens, right? If it's a penny initiative and we see dollar on the floor, we pivot. These are the cases where I pay out anyway. These are the cases where we pre-agree that we're going to refocus on this one. And there's people, oh, well, we're not going to get this old initiative done. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll pivot. That, that rarely happens. I'll be honest with you. Uh, looking at last 14 years running companies, I don't know, maybe two quarters happened, two, three quarters. And we were growing fast in, in, in many of those years. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for taking that quick question. All right, Todd, back, back to you on the original question, which I'll just read it here because it came in through the chat. What would you do if your staff does not buy into your idea or goals? So, I mean, it's, 
I, it's honestly not something I've had to deal with. I mean, we just haven't had this situation where someone has just said, I'm not going to do that. And if they did, I mean, I'm sorry, that's just gross insubordination. And they're not going to be working here tomorrow. I mean, it's, and I, I think there's an understanding that that's not the kind of thing I'm going to tolerate. So I, I, we just don't run into those situations. You know, part of it might be also that we employ a lot of people in Mexico. So, I mean, it is, it's a cultural difference also where, you know, there's not that pushback that you might get from people in certain other cultures like the United States, where, you know, especially in certain demographics, you know, certain age groups where there's a different perspective on that, where there's more willingness to push back. And I don't have to deal with that so much with employees in Mexico. I'll just be honest about that. That's just not the culture there. But even when we had staff in the United States, we didn't have those issues. And I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, communication and radical transparency, like Alex was talking about. I'm in 100% agreement with all of that. You know, our all of the employees at our company receives our profit and loss every year. And I think quarterly, if I remember right, I think that goes out in our quarterly packet also. So everybody knows what our payroll numbers are. They know what our profit is. They know what our revenue per door. This is all open information. Everybody knows what our rocks are. So I, I think when you have that degree of transparency and everybody knows what's going on and you don't have the issues where people are underpaid and overworked, I just don't think you run into those issues. I think those issues come up where people are at base unhappy at work because of compensation or you know time that they're working or whatever it might be, or because the company is just not very open about how it's going about business. And that's why they push back and don't see where this is going to go. What's the purpose of this? So I, I really think that's where those issues come from. I think people create these issues for themselves with how they're running their business. And then they wonder why the staff doesn't, you know, quote unquote, buy in. Hmm. I, you know, I'll chime in in that. I remember there was a time where we were making a, whether you want to call it a pivot, (laughs) probably more than that would be probably a bigger word than that. Identity shift. We went from filter easy to second nature, right? There's been some big changes at times in leading a large group of people through big shifts like that. No question it was the right decision. This is that in hindsight, that's always easy to say. At the time, it can make some people at least feel a little bit nervous because, hey, the vision that I signed up for, right? Todd, where you said we were going in 10 years, that we're climbing a different mountain now, or, or, or the way we're talking about climbing the mountain is not straight up with crampons and, and whatnot. We're going to be taking you know, the circuitous route up, right? The conservative route up, or, or the other way around. Hey, we were going conservative, and now we're trying to go this way, right? And dealing with those kind of changes, there was an executive in our company communicating the changes, you know, the day of, et cetera, in, in a small group that I was in. And I remember somebody in the group very reasonably asking a question and I could tell there was just like, I'm not sure I'm bought in to where this is going, (laughs) so to speak. And the response from the executive was very respectful, but it was decided. It's like, this is where we're going. I understand that's not what you signed up for. And so if you're looking for something different, you know, we can absolutely help, you know, find a, a, a transition for you, right? Uh, and it's not this like push away type, you know, it's not manipulative. It's, it was just genuine, totally get your perspective. That's your right to have it. You may be uncomfortable with this. This is where we're going. And we'd love for you to be a part of it. Here's how we see your talents contributing to this. But if, if you're not excited about that, you were excited about this originally, you know, we, we can work with you to facilitate a good transition to something that is going to work for you. And I do think about these kind of conversations with folks that that are 
there's a sense of conflict and like, ooh, like how do I, you know, how do I deal with this for some, it's, it can be uncomfortable for folks to have these conversations as a leader. I come back to Chris Voss, go check out that podcast episode, right? But I think about labeling the emotion behind what they're saying to demonstrate empathy and that you understand what, what they're saying that they're thinking, mirroring, right? To invite them to tell you more, right? You don't believe in the goal, that's going to invite them to tell you more about what's going on there, right? As opposed to just reacting to the statement without understanding it better first. So anyway, you can go catch out that podcast. That's not what this one's about, but mm. some, some tips in there for you. Okay. I've, I've got a question that came in from social media. Who is the change agent in your organization or like, you know, who singular or who plural? How would you answer that question? Who's the change agent in your organization? There's an absolute answer to this question, in my opinion. And if it's not that person, it's nobody. It's the CEO, it's the founder, it's the president, it's the owner, it's the majority owner. It's, it's somebody whose uh, life is on the line, whose well-being and, well, you know, and, and everything on the line as an entrepreneur. That's, there's not even... There's not even a remote consideration for anyone else, in my opinion, that, that you, people can't take responsibility for your business. Shouldn't expect to. Awesome. Todd? No, I agree with that 100%. We're, we're in agreement there. I mean, if, if you're, you know, someone who is a great, you know, operations manager, for example, director of operations, whatever you have, you know, that's the kind of person who's wonderful at executing on things and keeping things going. But when it comes right down to it, as far as, you know, directing the organization, making the big decisions about big changes, you're absolutely right. We're, we're on the same page there, Alex. That is, you know, either the visionary, you know, or the CEO or however you term it at your organization. But that has to be the person who's trying to figure out where we're going and how we're going to get there. There's one more. Your CPA. That's funny. What's interesting, I kind of have a different perspective on this, actually, that maybe you guys can tell me what I just haven't experienced yet. That would have me singing your song. But... The way I view what happens at Second Nature and other companies that have been a part of in the past is, you know, in very rich culture, like full of leaders. And the way I think about leadership or define leadership is influencing change, people who influence change. Like that's a leader, right? And every single day <laughs> in our organization, I see things happening in all kinds of different places where people are making change happen you know, in various ways, in various places and demonstrating leadership all across the organization, all across different departments and making, making things happen, making things better, taking initiative and doing those kind of things. And so I have also been a part of staff team, <laughs> wherever we're falling on that, where it was very much dictated, right? Like, here's the change. And there was one person really, you know, there were people who are acting performatively, right? But, but not, really, not really investing themselves to influence change in the organization, so to speak. Now, if you got, I think you guys are talking more about like, hey, at the strategic level, like where are we going to be in five years? You know, and, and so maybe if it's, if it's kind of limited to that scope, of where's the company going strategically, directionally on a long-term basis? How can that not be the CEO? Like, I, I don't, I've never heard of an organization where that's not the case, at least one that made it, right? But, but I do think of this like, there's an exciting idea, I think, in a culture 
at least for certain types of companies that would value this, of everyone's a leader and there's multiple leaders proactively leading every day, right? And, and lifting others up, helping others on the team make things happen and make change across the organization in their scope of responsibility, right? So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Is, is that? is that out of alignment with what you're saying or actually know that you agree with that? What are your thoughts? If, if that person on social media, a good person, could please help us define what change agent is because I think that might be some from Gary Vaynerchuk's early book. I can't remember what... So, so we just missed the definition I have. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a good question. What is he exactly looking for there? But I mean, the other thing I would say to what you were talking about, Andrew, is I think it depends on, you know, what kind of organization it is too. So, I mean, you have organizations like a sales organization at a fast growing company like Second Nature, you're going to need a bunch of leaders there, you know, like you guys have. On the other hand, if you're in an accounting department at a mortgage company, it's a little bit different. You need a different personality type there. You need someone who's just going to follow the procedure every single day, day in and day out, and they're not looking to be change agents. You know, you don't want a change agent at your, you know, controller level at a company. That's not really what they are. So, you know, it really depends on, you know, what kind of company you are and what department you're in. You know, a lot of places you need change agents and some places you don't. Can I introduce something that I've prepared. You got uh, stuff on your paper, Alex. I mean, we can go a few minutes over here. I'd, I'd hate for you to write all that down and not get to it. So let's do it. The, the only thing I was going to say is this. I, it seems because I thought deeply about what Todd said, because I always do, because he's not just he's not just saying things, even though sometimes it seems that way. I thought deeply and I thought, OK, globally, let's elevate and look at things. OK, so there's there's knowledge work and there's labor. Like I, I wanted to sort of like, OK, there's a building a house and there's designing a house. There's a pitching a house to city, getting permits, all that whole process. And then building a house is like brick, brick. That can be measured. And the day you accomplish this, you put up the sheetrock. You've done great. You didn't do good. Some decision-making is required because either sheetrock is too long, too short, you cut it. So, But at the end of the day, it's skilled labor versus knowledge work. Knowledge work is this architect team, You know, Jimmy hates Susan. And so he's going to delay his plans. So this Susan does not like really outpace him. Like whatever the case is, that, that's a team dynamic, in my opinion, knowledge work that's a lot more profound pronounced than it is in labor, where specific, like the right people on the bus in labor would be just happy doing that work. And, you know, they self-actualize elsewhere, you know, out and catching fish like I do. What are your thoughts, Todd? That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, there are, there are two really, I mean, not just necessarily two. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds of, you know, teams, you know, departments, whatever you want to call them. And yeah, you've got people who are working in, you know, professional capacities, knowledge workers, however you want to refer to them. And then you have people who, like I say, sit in an accounting office all day and go over numbers. I mean, these are completely different roles, different challenges. But what it ultimately comes down to is that same idea of making sure you've got the right people in the right seats. And, you know, a lot of that comes down, you know, I wanted to come and, and mention something you had said about, you know, touch, you know, using that as a, as a way to motivate people. And, you know, I think a big problem that a lot of entrepreneurs run into is they assume that everybody's like them. So, you know, we, we see this at a lot of, you know, small businesses when they start hiring employees, they hire a bunch of clones of themselves. And that doesn't work. Another problem you see that a lot of entrepreneurs have is that they hire a bunch of people that are further, you know, they put the right people in the right positions, 
But then they try to treat them as they'd want to be treated themselves, even though these are people with entirely different personalities. You know, someone who works as an accountant is not going to really get along well with someone who's an enterpriser, you know, that CEO type. Um, and if you try to motivate them the same way, and with some people, it might be touch. With some people, it might be money. You know, some people want recognition. You know, there's lots of different things that motivate different kinds of people. And if you just assume that everybody wants to be motivated in the same way you do, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that. And I, that just, I think, is a huge problem. You have to look at what's this person's personality type? What do I need to do to make them happy? Because it's going to be different for every kind of person. So I heard Joe Mullins or Mulling, something like that, and he, he runs a talent firm, like a search firm, and it's in, I think, med tech or something totally unrelated. But, you know, what he talked about is, hey, competing for talent right now and talking to, for, about talent, you know, as you're getting to the point of making people offers, you know, thinking about it as like, hey, we've got like four or five switches here, Right. So there's like your base compensation, there's maybe performance compensation, there's like work from home or work from anywhere, you know, flexibility, et cetera. There, there might be equity involved. And it's, hey, like we, we can't max all five of these things, right? But we can turn some knobs. And as, as there's more people having those kind of conversations, they realize, hey, there's, there's talent that they really could, could have gotten and could have been in a good situation if they were willing to be flexible there. And I think this is always a tough decision for any business owner or leader of saying, hey, are we going to kind of like set things and have them be simple and then go find someone to fit and it's easy to administer? Or are we willing to be flexible, whether that's with a, a customer or whether that's with talent? A Alex, how do you think about making that kind of decision of, hey, we're going to kind of cater this and, and, and be flexible versus we're going to be decisive about this and keep it simple? Wow, that's a very good question. There's no way in two minutes uh, I can do it any kind of justice because I'd want to ask Todd some questions and maybe you, and then we sort of come up with uh, reasonable advice. But I keep a sizable portion of comp uh, in the performance column. That gives me the flexibility to adapt it to the company's direction and goals. And I think it also attracts the kind of people that are willing to you know, live on the base, but strive for, you know, performance comp. I, that's I, not the right answer for everyone, but I, and I don't know if that's answering your question, but to me, that's kind of, that's my like number one mode of operation. And then, you know, vacation time, like Todd said, you got to pay people, you got to, you know, benefits. Those are like, I think those are table stakes really. Yeah. I mean, I think I, one of the things I would say on this is, that you know the reason people are having to do trade-offs so often in small business is that they don't have the revenue and the profit to be able to do what they need really need to do. Mm -hmm. So they always end up having to make trade-offs. So they're not able, like you say, to deal with those six, you know, six items. They have to pick. Well, I can only do two because that's all the revenue I've got to deal with. So I can't give them time off or I can't give them pay or all of it has to go into incentive-based. I can't provide any base because they don't have all that profit to pull from. 
So, you know, that's why I focus, of course, on maximizing revenue and profit, because when you have that there, if you've got a 25 or 30% profit margin, you're not having to compromise so much. Yeah. You're able to give people what you need to give them to attract the right people and, and make them happy. So, you know, I would tell people it all starts with running a profitable business. That's, that's really where you need to really uh, get down to brass tacks and make sure that's there. Revenue solves a lot of problems. <laughs> Maybe not every problem, but a lot of problems. That's true. Um, guys, here's, here's how I want to actually wrap. Because last night, actually, as I was posting and inviting people to share questions for this, I saw something on Facebook that treats me. So this is going to be our last one, and then we're going we're gonna to take it out from here. And, and thank you guys in advance for your time. Everybody here, if you have any questions, hold them for another Wednesday. Maybe we'll get these guys back. But I saw this on Facebook, and you know, essentially what I saw was a property manager who said, I've been doing this for 50 years, and in 50 years, I've never given a rent credit or a gift card or financial recompense to a resident or owner <laughs> ever in 50 years, and presumably for 50 years to come, assuming they live to be 140 or whatever, right? So <laughs> that's the way it has been, and that's the way it's going to be. And what was interesting about that was they said, I've made mistakes, like they admitted making mistakes that affected other people, but never, never willing to go into their pocket uh, or an owner's pocket in the case of potentially for some kind of issue of a resident and, and do that. And I think there's an interesting paradigm and lens that pro many property managers look through, which is... Listen, we're, property management is full of liability and risk and exposure. It's full of upset people that kind of seem impossible to please in general at times. And, and you know, to, to, to your point, Todd, like, hey, I've got to protect my business, right? And, and I feel like I'm giving up something here, right? Or I'm, I'm getting the, a smaller slice of the pie and I'm giving up some of my slice right to somebody else. And that, that's the way it feels, I, th I think, to this person. And if, if not them, then at least we encounter that kind of perspective elsewhere. And the whole point of the triple win lens that we talk about is saying, okay, how, how do we influence change, right? How do we make things better in such a way that it's better for everybody, residents, investors, team, right? Everybody's experience is getting better and transforming and moving things forward. And certainly Second Nature's culture is a culture of taking risks, being generous, investing in relationships, willing to make first move. And something a manager in my previous company taught me was don't ask the least you can do, what's the most you can do? And when a, a mistake happens or whatever, own it and ask like, how could you make them happy that this even happened, right? Like instead of very upset, like what could you do in response? Like go... If it costs them $50, like give them a hundred and do some other things like send them balloons, whatever, you know, <laughs> just go way out of your way, right? In response and just see what that feels like. And I remember the first time I did it, how it felt. And so I'm just curious, how do you guys think of this? Do, do you see that perspective in property management pervasive where people are like moment to moment, I've got to maximize this transaction. And if I give somebody an inch, right, I'm missing out on the transaction value at a moment in time versus what's the lifetime value of this relationship and, you know, investing in that and looking at that perspective. I'd love to close with your guys' thoughts and perspective on this. Todd, can we go to you and then we'll finish with Alex? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I responded to that uh, post that you were referring to because I kind of shocked that, you know, it, just the idea that, you know, I made mistakes, I'm admitting that I made them, and I'm not going to do anything to make them right. That just kind of grates on me. I just don't know, even know how you do that. I mean, earlier today, we we had onboarded a couple of properties for a new client too slowly. You know, it had taken too long, and I basically threw him a few hundred dollars to make him happy. I mean, again, I'll refer back to the fact that revenue makes a lot of things easier. I'm able to do that because I don't have to worry about that. And I think a lot of people make bad decisions because they're worried about revenue or, or lack of it. But yeah, you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing to admit, hey, I was wrong and do something to make it right. And sometimes it is with the landlord's money. Sometimes the landlord did something wrong that he shouldn't have done. And he's going to have to take a little money out of his pocket and give to the resident for that. I mean, that's just reality. That's part of, like I said on that post, that's part of being a landlord rather than a slumlord. You have, there is a distinction there. So, you know, I, I think that the, everybody has to be willing to admit when they've done something wrong. Now, on the other hand, I am famous for saying, you know, I stick to my former CEO, Herb Kelleher's advice that the customer is not always right. And, you know, we're not going to just bow down to someone just because they scream and holler the loudest. We had an owner a few weeks ago who was basically a quintessential Karen and thought that she was going to get her way just because she screamed the loudest. And I basically just told her, no, that's not going to happen. So we will admit when we've done something wrong and we will make it right, but we are not going to, we're not going to back down if we've done nothing wrong. I'll defend my employees to the hill. Yeah, that goes a long way. Defending your team goes a long way. This is where the leader CEO has a chance to step out, put themselves in front of the issue and get it done. But even more importantly, I think empowering your people to make those kinds of decisions on the spot is the significance of a team. And I think it's an important, very important thing. I mean, look at Costco, Nordstrom versus Sears and Radio Shack. I worked at Radio Shack. It was great, but it was a very strict 30 days return policy. And God forbid, Todd, you opened that voice recorder to try it and then can't put it back in the box the way it was? Holy cow, my friend. You ain't taking it back to me. Maybe you get your store credit. Anyway, you, you understand. The concept is like do the best you can for the right client, for the right client, and that's a winning formula. But as Todd says, not everybody's the right client. I firmly believe that. I love what you guys shared there. And it gets me thinking about one of the exciting conversations I think that we'll be having forever and ever <laughs> in this, at least for the foreseeable future in this industry is I, I, we're just noticing some shifts, right? Like a few years ago, again, many people, it, it's a, it's tenants viewed very transactionally, not really a lot of care there. Suddenly there's a lot of people who are caring about resident experience. And there's a client of ours who has a seven year average tenancy. Mm right? And you just think about what that does for everybody in the SFR game. I mean, residents so happy with where they're living and how they're being treated and their experience there that they don't want to leave. And what that does for the investors, saving them the, the turn costs, the maintenance costs, everything that is impacted by those turns, right? Holy cow. And obviously happier investors and residents makes it a better experience for the team that's often caught in the middle, right? And, and so I just think it's so interesting to think about you know, picking your client carefully, like you said, Alex, of like, who do you want to be married to? Like, who do you want to be in business with for seven years, 10 years, 20 years, right? Longer and being willing to make investments, being willing to go into the red at a moment in time, knowing that we're investing in a relationship here, like this is who we want to be working with, right? 
in the long term. And there's going to be opportunities to create value together and do well over a long period of time together. And you can only afford to be generous, right? As Todd said, right? It's like, that's why revenue is so important in, in running things well and doing things well, because it, it allows you to be generous and keep that flywheel turning over and over again. So with that, everybody, listen, this was Triple Win Live. We tried this live audience. We got some questions. Thanks for everyone that was shooting those in the chat. And uh, gents, I just want to say thank you again for doing this. This was fun. Great to get together. Always interesting conversation. I've got some notes of things I wrote down that you guys shared today. I'm excited to re-listen to a couple things you guys shared today. So thanks for being here. Last words for you guys, if you have anything you want to say. No, I'm just glad I was able to bring Alex out of retirement here. It was great to uh, get back and start talking about some stuff property management related. Dude, I, I I live and breathe this business, man. I still consult for people. Like I, you know what? I'm under. You know, I'm reading stuff. You know, I'm listening to stuff. You know, you know me. Jordan and I chat all the time. Todd, I always look at your stuff. Andrew, thank you very much for everything, man. You guys are inspiration. You know, your company comes up in a lot of examples people give. You know, out. Even people that I wouldn't think even know who you are. So keep it keep it going. Appreciate you and see you all. Thank you all for sticking around. All right, everybody. That's it. Take care. Happy Triple Wednesday. That's it. <laughs> nice. Credit Brandy Hammond for that one. There we go. Take care, everybody. All right, everybody. That wraps season one. What an epic season one. And I've got to give... A bigger thank you than you normally hear to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker. I hope you both are just personally proud of the incredible work product uh, that you guys brought. I mean, the thousands of downloads, the all of the positive feedback, not, not just the five-star reviews, but all the comments that we get and the emails and the Facebook messages that we get saying what value property managers are getting out of this, that there's something built for professional property managers and it's getting better and better over time we're so excited for season two to start up next year but listen we're going to take a break for the holidays we're going to come back fresh we're going to come back with some new things we'd love to hear your feedback in between now and then you can literally shape the direction of this podcast uh, just as you have over the months previous in our first uh, 25 plus episodes here so with that Give us a follow on Facebook. You can search RVP by Second Nature. LinkedIn, Second Nature account. There's thousands of people following the company account there. And Alec Lower on our team is posting great content, pulling stuff together uh, to stay connected so you can find some great information there, uh, in including podcast guests from this season, more content from them that's being shared there. Uh, so want to encourage you to do that. Facebook, LinkedIn, also on Twitter and Instagram, if that's your speed. And with that, we're going to sign off and wish you a very happy holiday. Happy New Year. Catch you for season two in 2022, where we'll see a better version of you and your business. Keep stacking triple wins and telling us about it so we can share your success, your stories, keep cheering you on. With that, Andrew Smollett signing off. See ya.